0: December thirtieth, two thousand twenty-two. This morning's class and the classes throughout the week were do- donated Le'Inuy Nishmat Eliyahu Ben Miriam Eli- Elliot R. Shalmai and in loving memory of Michael Fallis Moshe Ben Rachel, by Salman Fallis. We're in Masechet Sanhedrin and Pechet Amud Aleph. If you count from the bottom of the Amud up, it's eleven lines up. Basically, in the middle of the line, the, the Gemara is returning to the Mishnah. It says Shiloshah Bate Dinim. The Gemara will get to those details in a moment, but first the Gemara has until now, if you recall, uh, described for us the nature of the halacha or halachot that Azakin Mamre might be disagreeing with, with regards to his going up against Beit Din Hagado. Uh, but now beyond uh, and separate from what sort of halachot is he disagreeing with, how is he disagreeing is what the Gemara will address. Not with regards to what's he instructing, but what type of mahlok it is. It- In other words, if I were to dispute you about a matter, you have your approach and I have a different approach, each one of us needs to be coming from somewhere. I might be basing myself on logic. That's what the Gemara will call sivara. Alternatively, I or you might be basing ourselves on what we'll call Masoret or Kabbalah. We have this based on a tradition which we received from others. When this is Zaken Mamrez, going around and ultimately speaking, Uh, standing in front of Beit Din HaGadol and proposing or making clear his position on a halacha matter based on what authority? Is it his logic that he's using? Or is he mentioning some sort of tradition that he received? Based on what authority or rather what uh, basis is the Beit Din HaGadol disagreeing with him? Is it based on their own internal logic? Or alternatively, is this a Masoret that they have? This is what the Gemara is going to address over here. What's that? I'll give it a few seconds, we'll figure it out. Again, I mean, you can imagine that there might be a difference with regards to if he's coming based on tradition. If he's coming based on tradition, he's not per se being a mamre, he's not per se rebelliously acting. He's, uh, he's, he's mentioning what he received based on what he knows to be the tradition of halacha. If, yeah, spe- well, we... if especially they in turn, in disputing him, don't have a tradition on this and are only saying it to him based on Sivara that they disagree. Are you going to tell me that even in such a circumstance, he's considered Zaken Mamre? He's saying, I know this based on Masoret. You guys, fantastic, tell me, but you don't have Masoret. That's going to be Mzaken Mamre. So it's that type of issue that we're going to address with regards to what's it based on, which in turn deter, determines for us, is this a hamra'ah, uh, is this a, uh, a rebellion or not. Amar of Kahana, hu omer If his statement is, well, we're not calling it neither Masoret nor Kabbalah, we're calling it mipi it's something that he heard. Meaning he received this as halakha. His rabbis, who we imagine received it in turn from their rabbis. The Henomrim and the Bet din Hagadol in turn against him are stating it's not true. What you're saying is mutar is really asur. We know it, Mipi Hashimua, based on our tradition. Again, it's a Yahid going up against Rabim. It's certainly a Hamra'ah, to a certain extent, a rebellion against their word. But ultimately speaking, he's not doing it. Uh, without any authority, he's not doing it without any basis. He's doing it based on uh, the shimua that he received. In such a circumstance, eno neherag. Now, Judah, you might argue that within the context of how halacha should work at that time, when we have bet din hagadol, he still shouldn't be doing it. I'll agree, but he's not zaken mamre. He's not going to be put to death for uh, verbalizing is the suggestion of this opinion. He is, but ultimately speaking, he's doing it based on Mipihashimu'ah. And as a result, to put him to death for that, and not per se uh, looking to dismantle the Betin Hagadol, it's on a halacha that he's disagreeing based on his Masoret. Now, there will be another opinion. Abil Aza, we'll see in a moment will be very much on your team, irrespective of where he's receiving it from and how they're determining it. Zakein Mamre, Mamre is going to be defined very simply and basically as someone who goes up against Din HaGadol to the extent, and this is probably, he's going to use the word, Shelo lo yerbu bi The whole objective over here is that you don't have many disputes. As a result, Din HaGadol has determined, irrespective of how and why, that opinion will disagree with this and say uh, it doesn't matter where he's coming from either, Zakein Mamre. Okay, Alternatively, in this first opinion, that of Rav Kahana, Huomer kahu he says it based on, again, logic, this is what it appears in my eyes. It's not that which I heard from my mentors, from my uh, rabbis, rather this is what it appears to me. Hen Omrim, against him, the bet Din Hagadol is claiming, kahu you think it's mutar, we think it's asur. Neither one of us heard it, neither one of us received this, there's no tradition on this, Likewise, in that situation, according to Rav Kahana, in a I'm not certain, you know, because he's saying, because it's Be'inai, <laughs> but, but it can't be, because if ultimately speaking, we're calling him potentially Zakin Mamre, means he's trying to convince others. But at the end of the day, with regards to his claim versus their claim, we're not willing to say this is a situation of zakin Mamre, the danger of, uh, of, of disputing authority. They're both coming based on their life. What's that? Maybe, maybe. I'm not certain, because ultimately speaking, he is convincing others. Call shikin, and all the more so that he won't be killed... To the extent that he's considered a zaken al piat Torah, it's not so. In obviously, hu omen he's coming based on tradition. And they, in uh, in in his face, Vehenomrim, omrim they based on Sevara, he based on masoret. Certainly, in that situation, enoneherag he's only killed enoneherag neherag ad sheyomar. The only time, according to Rav Kahana, he's put to death is when he's claiming this is the halakha based on my logic. And they, the din Hagadol, against him say, They say we have tradition otherwise. In that circumstance, only in that situation, is he killed te'da. Says Rav Kahana, I have a proof for myself based on history. Is Et Akavya bin Mahalal as a reference to a rabbi from some time period before the Gemara mentioned in the Mishnayot and Masechet Eduyot. We mentioned him a day or two ago in the context of, if you recall, the color of blood of nidah, the Dam Yarok. Now what the reference specifically over here to is in the fifth chapter, in the fifth pedic of Masechet Eduyot, there are four Mahlokot, four disputes that this rabbi Akavia ben Mahalal had against the Rabbim of his time period against the Chachamim, the majority opinion. At the end of his life, the Mishnayot tells us, he turns to his son and he says, you should give in to the majority opinion. His son says, what do you mean? I should go against what my father told me. You instructed me and you based yourself on this throughout. You were instructing and doing and saying but, oh, throughout, against the majority opinion. I should be different than that. What's the difference between me and you, Dad? And so his father explains to him the Mishnayot explains, when I was instructing and determining Halakha based on Uh, What authority was I doing so? I did it based on what I had received. That was the majority opinion when I received the halakha. So in case A, I received, based on majority opinion of my generation, that the halakha was mutar. Things have changed. Look around. The majority opinion now is, for argument's sake, asur. As a result, you can't any longer. You must not, should not be instructing and interpreting that way. you got to now bail to the majority opinion. But now, for a moment, just think about this, says Rav Kahana. Why in the life of Akavya bin Mahalaleh was he himself, okay, so his son's going to change it, was he himself not considered a Zakim Mamre? Ultimately speaking, he is going up against the major authority. He is opposing the B'tin HaGadol of his time period. How come he's not judged as a Zakim Mamre? I know he was a good, upstanding citizen of great rabbi, but ultimately speaking, isn't he not allowed to be doing so? I'll tell you why, he was going based on Masoret, he was going based on Mipi HaShemua, it's what he heard, that's what we know from his conversation with his son at the end of his life. So irrespective of how Beit HaGadol received or knew their knowledge, he's allowed to be doing so. Are we encouraging it? Not per se. Do we need this to be a public spectacle? We'd rather it not. Are we going to put him to death and judge him as Zakin Mamre? If he's doing it, says Rav Kahana, we are not. Akavya bin Mahalalel is our case study and proof. Rabbi al Azar disagrees with this whole notion of Rav Kahana. He says it's not so. Zakin Mamre is afilu Omer mi pia shimwa vehen omrin kahou beenenu nehirac. Even in the extreme example where Rav Kahana almost said it goes without saying, if the Bedin HaGadol has Mipi HaShimua, they have the tradition on this matter, and the Zaken Mamre disputes, excuse me, the Bedin HaGadol has no tradition on the matter, they say, kach nirabe they're doing it based on logic, let's say, saying Asur, he is alternatively saying Mutar, based on tradition, Mipi HaShimua, even there, Neherag, why so? That's the logic that underlies that. I was so driven by this earlier argument of Rav Kahana, um, the argument, the reason of Rabbi Lazar, is the dominant opinion over here, is yirbu machlokot the whole purpose that underbellies, that underwrites this concept, this halakha Zaken mamre, is that we don't have a proliferation of machlokot. we don't have an overabundance of disputes and disagreements. And as a result, it doesn't matter how and why he argues his, cl- his side and where they come from in their counterclaim, ultimately speaking, if he's going up against authority of the congregation known as Beit Din Hagadol, he is zaken Mamre. So maybe you'll say, says Rabbi al oh, you remember that example, the proof that you brought, Rav Kana? The Akavya bin Mahalalel example, where he had those four disagreements with the Hachamim, where he says to his son, I was able to do so, but you shouldn't be doing so. And he wasn't killed in his lifetime, he wasn't judged as a Zakim Mamre, why not? According to to be Lazar, he should be. Ultimately speaking, he is going up against Betina Gadom. V'im tomar mipeneh malohar guet Akavya ben Mahalaleil answers to be Lazar for himself. Mipeneh she lo horah halacha le Period. Because Akavya ben Mahalaleil, as much as he in logic, as much as he in theory. Disagreed with and disputed on these four matters, the majority opinion, the Din Hagadol approach to this, he never was Hora Halacha ma'aseh. The only time, the specific circumstance, we read it in the Mishnah, we'll return to it in the Gemara, that we consider someone as Akin Mamre is not based on their studying and their thinking, they're giving a <laughs> class and they're suggesting. It's only when they're Hora Halacha, it's only when they're specifically telling people to do, or they themselves are doing so. That being the case, since Akaviyab Ben Mahalaleh was not so, had he just gone. On over the line like that and instructed others, indeed he would have been considered, says al Azar, a zakin mamre. Says the Gemara, we have proofs, one or two, uh, that we'd like to suggest. First, tenan, we had in our mishnah, if you recall the mishnah articulated, it verbalized for us what the Zakir Mamre says when he goes to the first Din, when he goes to the second Din, when he goes to the third Din. He says that this is how I understood, this is how they disagreed, this is what I taught and this is how they teach. Right? That's the description. It doesn't seem to be distinguishing between um, specific uh, places where he's coming from and where they're deriving their law from. It sounds like under all circumstances, if he disagrees with them and based on whatever, and they disagree with him, obviously, based on whatever, the Mishnah doesn't say if he says it based on logic and they say it based on... So it seems, seems like it's under all circumstances. It seems like a proof for our more strict opinion with regards to how we're going to and when we're going to judge him as a and Mamre. My love, uh, should we not suggest just based on the blatant and blank statement of our Mishnah without it being more detailed, that it's even shouldn't it be if the Mishnah doesn't specify otherwise, that it's even under a circumstance where he's going based on the authority of tradition they're going based on only logic nonetheless it's considered it's, it's a nice proof it's a valiant effort, but ultimately speaking I could tell you, it's not the greatest claim but I could defend Rav and say look Hu only pia The Mishnah really was talking about it, even though it didn't specify, even though it didn't articulate this detail but an important detail nonetheless you were supposed to supplement it when you studied it with your students, with your son, whatever you were supposed to repeat, by the way it's only in the circumstance where he's going based on logic and they're going based on tradition then and only then. The Mishnah doesn't specify it okay, uh, so it's not going to knock out the opinion of Rav Kana per se Yes? Well, several, several things. First and foremost, we don't have beti in Haggadon, so that's the biggest issue. in general, maybe, tradition About appropriate way of, of, of acting. Uh, you know, if you had a tradition to that extent, and was that now you have to define for us. Here we have a clear-cut description of what tradition is. Tradition is, they received it with regards to uh, normative practice. Uh, that's, that's tradition. Uh, wh- what are we referring to in this context? In, in what respect is someone rebelling, so to speak, against the normative practice? Now You might say to me, because I did the research and two generations ago nobody was doing so. And the answer would be, according to my understanding of halacha, therefore you should not be doing differently. But I could argue, you shouldn't be doing differently. However, what does emerge, because we live in a uh, social, uh, communal, national uh, respect with regards to life, what does emerge at many times is everyone just begins doing so. Once everyone then begins doing so, your tradition then has shifted. Your majority opinion with regards to practice is now altogether different. Now, I would argue, it shifted that way to the extent that you can't fall back onto the old tradition. Again, this is all barring any bit HaGadol activity, but it very much plays out that way to the extent. I've told the story many times, whether it happened or not. I read that it happened. Uh, there was a rabbi who passed away in 1995 in Yerushalayim. His name was Rabbi Shlomo Zalman Arbach. Rabbi Arbach was once asked, as per the story, was asked, said that in the more traditional communities women won't wear pants. They won't wear pants. They assume that it's either forbidden, not because it's big at as Hacham Yosef points out in his table. It's not no longer considered based on the fact that many women stores clothing make pants for women, but nonetheless they consider it not a traditional garb with regards to women's siniyut and modest dress. Uh, so the question to him was, uh, well, in today's day and age there's many pants that are much more modest uh, than uh, skirts, and so maybe in our, in our community, he lived in shaar e said, maybe it's appropriate for women now to be wearing pants, maybe that's good. Okay. So he smiled and he said, listen, the first several hundred who do so, I just want you to know, based on, you know, he said this, I'm sure with a smile, he was always smiling, he says, they're Yoresh Gehinam. The several hundred, they're going uh, straight into the depths of uh, of hell. This uh, he is everyone afterwards. Yeah, then it's mutar, then it's mutar, and that's that's. And that what he was articulating is exactly at this point. Uh, I didn't really mean it to that extent at all. But but what it, I'm, I'm certain. But it, it has to be that once the tradition was already knocked out based on the new practice. I said, now this is the new practice. Now, if it doesn't have grounding in halakha, if you're gonna say it's objectively against halakha X or halakha what, then of course you couldn't change it. But that's that's you know just in terms of the trage- trajectory of how halakha works. All right, back to the Gemara. Says so the Gemara, I have one more proof and this will be the knockout proof for Rabbi Azar for that more uh, strict opinion, with regards to, or stri- you know, stri- it depends how you look at this. But with regards to how you determine if he's a zakem mamre or not, according to Rabbi Azar, under all circumstances, tashema, I have a beraita which will accord. Excuse me, I have a statement which will accord with. The opinion of Rabil Azhar that irrespective it doesn 't matter where the uh, Zaken Mamre is coming from, nor where the betin Hagado is coming from, if he goes up against them he 's considered Zaken Mamre. Here's how the proof goes. The Amar Shiloshah Devarim Sakhli Zeira There are three things that were spoken to me by this Zeira, who was a person from Yerushalayim. All right, what were the three things that he told you? Number one, Ba'al Shemachal Al Kinuyav, Kinuyav Machul. Number two, Ben Sorer Umore Shirasu Avi mo Limcholo Mochalino. And number three, Zaken Mamre Shirasu Mohalino. So those are the three. We're going to have to go back to each one of these and understand exactly what they are. But he says there are three things that I heard from Ze'ira. And the last one, of course, is going to be the most significant. We see the word Zaken Mamre. Let's first break them down, then understand what we're making out because of that last one. First and foremost, Baal al- Kinuyav, Kinuyav Mahul. And we know what those words are, kind of mean we just mentioned them a day or two ago and that is when we're dealing with a woman who's known as Sota. the Torah and Parashat Naso describes this woman this wayward woman a woman who seems to have acted uh, promiscuously the husband was Mekanela he warned her he told her don't seclude yourself with that man he does that he issues that warning with two witnesses now Ultimately speaking, if she then is with, one of that, with that man, secluded in a place with that man, the husband is forbidden to her, she's forbidden to the husband until she's checked by what we call the mehatat. until she's taken to the mishkan and she accedes to the demands of the kohen that she drink from this water, which we discussed, which the Torah describes at great length in parashat So What if, and we'll discuss at what point, what if the husband says, you know something, for one reason or another, he's now determined and decided that this whole embarrassing affair, I know we made up, and I, I forgive you, I take back everything. Um, what if he does so? What's the halacha? We'll discuss at what point, but first and foremost, Baal Shem Mahalal Kinuyav. What if the husband is mohel? He absolves the woman of that Kinuy, he retracts it. I wish I never said it, let's pretend I never gave you that warning. Can we now be permitted one to the other? Mahul, Kinuyav Mahul. Halacha is. Absolved. She's done, he's through. Right, he could start it up again if there's a new warning, whatever, but that's, that's, the process is over. They can, if they know how to, if they have the right therapist and the right you know, family, uh, family building skills, they're now back together and living happily ever after. At what point is he able to do that? The words of Rashi at the bottom of the page, machul, writes Rashi, Rashi seems to suggest, through those just few words, with five words, that the only point, specifically at which point he's still able to absolve her, to forgive her of that warning, is if she hasn't yet secluded herself. So he gave her that stern warning. As long as she hasn't yet secluded herself with that man, he can absolve her. Tosafot disagrees. <laughs> Tosafot, the bottom, Tosafot on the left-hand side, Kinu Yav Machul says <laughs> Tosafot. How do you know? Haynu Dafka. She She says before the S'tira, Tosafot says after the S'tira, Tosafot is nipsak lahalacha. surprisingly. surprisingly. <laughs> Kinuyav Mahul says Tosafot, hainu davka kodem shinimheka ha-migila, it's specifically before she drank from the water, all right, if it's before she drank from the if she drank from the water. All right, that's game over. Whatever happens, happens. She's ne'eseret alav. After the drinking from the water, that's where the problem means everything up until then, even if she did sitira, and certainly at any stage, up until the final stage, if he's mohel, they can go back home and live ha- happily ever after, she doesn't lose ketubah, none of that sort of stuff, they can, alright, anyway, that's the first halakha, mahloq <laughs> between rashi'an and safot how to interpret it, but it means that ba'al shem machal kinuyav a husband who wants to absolve wants to forgive from any of that warning the status and nature of halacha afterwards kinuyah, it's, it's mahul. next, ben soreru more, know what that is? Ben Soreiro Moreh is the wayward child. We learned about him on the A'in Aleph in our Masech, we the whole called Ben Soreiro Moreh. Now the Halakha with regards to Ben Soreiro if you recall, is that he ate a specific amount of meat, we call that Tartimar Shel Basar, a specific amount of wine, the Log Shil Yayin, and the parents warned him after first warning and his doing so, V'yisiru Oto, he gets malkot. After the second time, he's put to death. What if the parents, Look at him, he's trying to do better. We know he's got a long way. We're going to get involved with, I don't know, SAFE and SBH and every community organization. We're going to make this situation better, but we don't need to turn this into a bin. So it's a public thing, it's going to bring him to. Uh, let's let's stay out of that. Instead, we want to be mochel, Can they be mochel? Or once the deed is done, once they've already warned him, once he's already acted, it's too late. <laughs> Mohalino, nahala kaiz, they too are allowed to be mohil. Says Rashi, Avla Hashi Trubo, Vikil Kel, Vihilkuhu, Vihazar Vihke V Vikilkeel, Imratzulim Hol Velohevi Uhu L Bedin Muhalino. Says Rashi, this is specifically up until he's brought for the final occasion to betdin in order to be put to death if he hasn't yet been brought into betdin they could still be Mohel. if he's already been brought into betdin it's too late similar to Rashi earlier. If the deed was done with regards to seclusion, he can no longer absolve. Not Tosafot this time, but Harambam disagrees explicitly up until the court sentencing, up until what we call Gemardin, writes Harambam, they could be mohel as well in the Ben Soreru Morey But none of this has bearing per se on us. Last situation, what about Zaken Mamre, the third of our wayward situations? A woman with her husband, a child with his parents. What about Zaken Mamre? He's going against the Betin Haggad and Rashash discusses whether it should say or, or. We're really potentially even talking about. Can they be? He's disagreeing with them. Can they say, okay, we, we're not putting up this fight. We don't need. We feel bad for you. We're going to give in. Uh, you could be more. Are they able to do so? What's the halacha? Mohalino. Uh, the halacha, the last one over here is still able to be mochel. Still hasn't given us any, uh, any evidence for our earlier conversation between Bil Azan and Afka'ana. Says the Gemara or says this says uh, uh, says the person who's who's speaking over here, who's speaking over here, Rabbi says Rabbi Yoshiyah When I went southward and I began to discuss this halakha with them, you know what I heard from Zeira? I heard three things. He told me the following three things that you're allowed to uh, uh, you're allowed to uh, forgive in the Sotah case. Yeah, you're allowed to forgive in the Ben Sorein case. Yeah, allowed to forgive in the Zaken Mamre. I I told them that. Al Shinaim Hoduli. On the first two, they nodded their heads and I said, wonderful, beautiful (laughs) halacha. Al Zaken Mamre. Remembers Rabbi O'Shiya. He says, but on that last issue, the Zaken Mamre, they wouldn't wouldn't agree with me. Lo Hoduli. They said, it's not true. The Betin HaKadol can never forgive the Zaken Mamre. And the logic and the reason is most important. Kedesh Mahlokot bi Israel. And the reason is the reason they can't forgive, even though in general, in the other disagreement cases, the sota, the ben more, you're going up against Allah with regards to practice, it's marriage, itself. and the reason this case is different is because we can't have a proliferation, we can't have an abundance or too many mahlokot bi Israel. Remember whose logic that was? That's Rabbi Lazar's reasoning. Rabbi Lazar is the rabbi who told us against Rav Kahana that the halakha, that's right, that the halacha is I don't care, it doesn't matter to me. Why the Zaken Mamre is saying what he's saying? Why the Beit Din Hagadol are disagreeing, whether the Zaken Mamre has it based on Pia tradition, and they're even doing it just based on logic, still Zaken Mamre, why saw Rabbi Lazar? I understood Rav Kahana, as Judah said, that's the logic as a result. This, birayta, which is ultimately brought to Yufta, says the Gemara, that's the final question. It's the question that stands on Rav Kahana, and in turn, as I mentioned to you, Halachal Maase, not only much Halachal Maase, we don't have din Hagadol, but as it was Nifzakh La it's like Rabi'l Azar, Zakin Mamre will be determined based on any. Circumstance based on where they're coming from and how the Betin agados is deciding it, it won't matter. What's that? In mechila. in mechila, indeed. Says the Gemara Tanya, we have a beisrael. Be says the Yose, you know something, if you look all the way back, back in the day when we had Betin Hagado when we were dealing with Sanhedrin, we didn't have many machlokot, we had almost no mahlokot. Matter of fact, the Mishnah in Masekit Daf Tetzayin records what appears to be one of the only mahlokot that they had before the time of Bet Shammai and We'll discuss how things broke down. Tosafot quote over there from Talmud Yuroshami, there were three other mahlokot. We have a total of four mahlokot four disputes. Can you imagine? You can't open a book today with regards to halakha without 15 opinions. And once upon a time things were clean and clear. There was one opinion. That's what we're dealing with. That's what you used to have. Just read. The, what was the mahloka that's recorded in the Mishnah and the It's about whether you're able to be somech on a behema uh, on Yom Tov. Whether when you bring the Korban on Yom Tov, you can push down on it. That was the specific halacha. So what changed? Ela, but once upon a time, this is how it worked. That's what we call the Supreme Court of Judaism. The din the Sanhedrin. What they used to have was this inside circle in Lishkatagazit, Lishkatagazit, as we discussed, as we'll remind you over here, is half in Kodesh and half outside. It was a beautiful structure with regards to our Supreme Court. The statement was we're a part of the people, but we're also inside, so to speak, together with God. And then in addition to that 71 internal, in Yerushalayim, right outside and connected to the Mikdash as well, there were two other Bate dinim, big ones, 23. 23, you could be done, Dinei you could deal with life in Death Matters. He had 23. One was next to Harabayit, the entrance to where you'd go into the Mikdash. And the other one was more internal at the entrance to the Azara. It means you went to the Mikdash, as I mentioned already. You weren't just seeing a lot of people. You weren't just hearing animals and smelling things and seeing fire. You were also seeing judgment. Which is a big deal. That's hora'ah. Huh? The, 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 the fact that Derech Adonai is la Mishpat, you really felt this is the way of God. Justice, righteousness. That's what you saw in the place of worship of God. And then, additionally, in every city in Israel, you had a bedin of twenty-three. You were able to judge and deal with serious matters on a consistent basis. As a result, matters were often resolved immediately. You had little. To to no disputes there was a matter that needed to be asked what would they do Iran. you'd go and you'd ask the Baitin in your city if they had a tradition that they remembered and they were able to receive and transmit if they weren't able to if they didn't remember they hadn't received it they come to the one that's closest to the city if they in turn heard if they in turn heard if we still don't have the matter resolved, we go to the closer Beit Din, that which is on the entrance to Harabayit in Yerushalayim. Ultimately speaking, as we learned in the Amishnah, it could be a Zaken situation, a person who's determining the law uh, by X, and he's coming now into, Sanhedrin, others weren't fully certain. Perhaps they were and they thought he was wrong, but they now, ultimately speaking, potentially, walking into the most internal, highest level bedin that of the Lishkat Agazit Sanhedrin, Shesham, and let me tell you about that. Sanhedrin says this says this statement in this Beraita their time the open court time was from the sacrifice in the morning until the later afternoon sacrifice very telling as well this was coupled with worship of God this was not something we act justly and we worship to God it was you enter into the Mikdash you want to know when the Sanhedrin is involved exactly from one sacrifice until the next sacrifice, we are book-ended, we are book-ended we saw it elsewhere in the Masechet, we were bookended by worship of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. the sacrifice begins Beit din closes and the sacrifice for the congregation happens afterwards that's very significant with regards to again internalizing understanding what righteousness what straightness what honesty was and is in Amisa what would they do on Shabbat and Yom Tov the halacha we'll learn it soon in Masechet B'et the Lamid Vav is that din? there's no deen on Shabbat and Yom Tov not min ha Torah but mid rabbanan rabbinically speaking court does not and cannot convene on Shabbat or Yom Tov because sheme because we're ner they'll come to writing, to Kittiva that's one of the 39 melachot, kotev, and as a result, we wouldn't have betting. So what do you do with the court on Shabbat and Yom Tov? Oh, so we disbanded. We did disband it. However, Shabbatot, b'yamim tovim, yoshivim b'chel. We'd have them outside of the inner area that they used to sit in. Says Rashi for one of two reasons. Rashi prefers his second reason. He says, the reason is because people are gonna see them in their regular place. It's gonna seem as if they are judging on Shabbat. Ya haram, wrong thing, so displace them. Why don't you just give them day off? No, I'm, I'm reminding you. We need this to be a constant presence in them. You need to walk in and say, hey, we are about judgment. We're about righteousness. But they're not doing anything. They're, sit, they're sitting around. They are involved in thought they're not judging cases sure you had that sure we, say, we pray shahrit minhan misaf and shabbat as a parallel to the, to the to the to the now what would happen again that was all parenthetical as to what they did on shabbat and how they used to do it and when they would convene but ultimately speaking if there was a question that was asked to the if they had a tradition on this amiru they would answer oh that's your question we have a tradition on this so thank you so much sorry for the travel I'm sure it was difficult but we're so happy to see you the halacha is mutar the halacha is asur vimlav what if they didn't know you got to the fine, you got to the the Wizard of Oz you're finally there asking him for the Pesach and he doesn't know and the Beit Din doesn't know, they don't have tradition on it. medim Laminyan, medim Laminyan means they would take a vote, they would count the opinions. Each one of them would weigh in. Rabu HaMetami'in, if there was a the majority saying Tameh, Tame'u, uh, they'd say this situation is Tameh. Rabu HaMetaharin, if the majority of 71 was 36 plus, you know, whatever is uh, Tiharu. That was how it once upon time worked. Concludes the Beraitah for our purposes today, Mishirabu Talmidei Shama'i V'Hilel When there became an abundance, many students to Shama'i and Hillel. Now Shama'i and Hillel, we usually just say Bet Shama'i, That's their descendants, that's their students, and their families, and their students' students. What about Shama'i and Hillel themselves, when their students proliferated? After that first generation, And we blame it on the next generations. They didn't do Tashmish They weren't involved, listening carefully, asking the appropriate questions, and as a result, they didn't receive the tradition in a proper fashion. Rabu That's what led to disputes, disagreements, and arguments. The Torah, and it appears to some until today that the Torah is Kishte Torot as if we have two Torahs, why so? Because there's always two opinions, always different approaches to the matter. That's what the Gemara suggests over here. Just one last point on this. It's a famous statement of Harambam in his Haqtamat, Perusha says Harambam. it makes it appear as if we forgot it all. Makes it appear as if you have the students of Beit Betileel. As a result, everything was up for grabs. Nobody remembered anything. Really? Says Harambam, not about everything. Says Harambam, what you're referring to over here is the Midocha Torani Dreshit, the ways in terms of how the rabbis derive things, the 13 ways of Bishmael, we say in the Shahrit every day or on Shabbat at the very least we have the 13 that's what they didn't remember the tradition on how to do this what you call perush mekubal mi Moshe Rabbeinu when it comes to a matter that we have tradition on what it means for example what is pity it's hadah when the Torah says on Sukkot you take an exotic fruit that's a trog there's no mahlokir about that perush mekubal Moshe Rabbeinu never was never will be suggests ayin tahat an eye for an eye we don't say you actually take an eye you actually pay money perush mekubal says Harambam certain matters never Never got evaporated, never got diluted. It was specifically matters which the rabbis were deriving from their methodology. That's what got diluted, and that in turn is what you know we're bemoaning in this Beraita of so and Amen.